Good morning. The uh, last stream had to be cut short, so I'm redoing this stream. And uh, had added some new stuff into it, too. So, let's begin. Hard Talk Radio, live in 4K. We're going to be talking about the Don Lemon uh, dropping a bomb when arguing about uh, reparations debate. Let's get into it. Hard Talk Radio, live in 4K. for colonialism and they're wondering you know 100 billion dollars 24 billion dollars here and there 500 million there some people want to be paid back and uh, and members of the public are wondering why are we suffering when you are you know you have all of this vast wealth those are legitimate concerns well i think you're right about reparations in terms of if people want it though what they need to do is you always need to go back to the beginning of a supply chain where was the beginning of the supply chain that was in africa and when across the entire world when slavery was taking place, which was the first nation in the world that abolished slavery? The first nation in the world to abolish it. It was started by William Wilberforce, was the British. In, in Great Britain, they abolished slavery. 2,000 naval men died on the high seas. Okay, they died in the high seas, but you will be compensated by the British Empire. They don't need reparations. It's disgusting how some of these racist white people want to try and not look at the facts and make up any type of excuses when it comes to this trying to stop slavery why because the african kings were rounding up their own people they had them on cages waiting in the beaches no one was running into africa to get them and i think you're talking excuse me who was buying them who came to africa to buy them the dahomey tribe was selling to europeans as well all types of people who would take them take the slaves what are you talking about? Right. If reparations need to be paid, we need to go right back to the beginning of that supply chain and say who was rounding up their own people and having them handcuffed in cages. Absolutely. That's where they should start. And maybe, I don't know, the descendants of those families where they died at the, in the high seas trying to stop the slavery, that those families should receive something too, I think, at the same time. It's an interesting discussion, Hillary. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, let's get right into it. Joining us now to weigh in is Newsweek contributor and business consultant, Denise Long. Denise, I know you're fired up about this subject. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here. So tell us what you made of this clip. I think you disagree with the guest. Yeah, I think it was a shit show. <laughs> I think it was... Uh, colonizers and those responsible for exceptional crimes against humanity around the globe to wash their hands and place blame completely elsewhere. So my take on this is that perhaps Don ran out of time, let's hope, and or he didn't have a response to this uh, egregious bastardization of uh, accountability. So for me, as a seventh generation American descendant of slaves, my thought on this is really that all parties are responsible, including if we're able to locate and find 
the Africans who were responsible for trading uh, their people into slavery, but we also know exactly where to find the, the Brits and those who continue to live high off the hog from slave labor. And it's amazing to me that this woman talks about the 2,000 people who died to make right egregious 300-year history as them getting reparations, because we already know that the British spent what is equivalent to 17 trillion, is it billion? billion in reparations to the slave owners once the slave trade was finally abolished in 1807 in Britain. So they don't get a pass for ending what they shouldn't have been involved with in the first place. Nobody told them to go buy enslaved people. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, you know, when it came to uh, <laughs> when it came to people like in the South, you know, who uh, gave up to try to play slick. Well, you know, we gave up the slaves. What about my reparations? No. When you gave up the slaves, you were compensated by Lincoln. Okay. They always come up with some excuse. Okay. Well, you know, and I, and you know, reading a comment section for this channel. Okay. Well, what about my, you know, my, uh, great fought grand, my great, uh, ancestor who fought in the, uh, the war to free the, to free the blacks the civil war what about their reparations it's like are you kidding me are you kidding me you fought for the side of lincoln you got paid as a soldier you're a soldier you don't fight for free you don't get reparations but i like these conversations because it exposes the racism with a lot of um among some white people not all white people are racist you have ones that are Okay, and I just like the exposure because you get to know who your enemies are. Like I said, if this was talking about Jews getting their reparations, it would be okay. Eight, um, you know, the Japanese in internment camps, it would be okay. Mention African American or blacks getting their reparations. A African Americans, descendants of of you know the slavery that happened to blacks in America. That's a problem. And the way I see it is just the fact it has to be the fact that reparation money must will probably break the country. That's what I'm probably I'm thinking about it. I could be wrong because whenever, you know, there's a war to fight, all of a sudden money, money just happens just to be there. War for Ukraine. That money's there. Reparations for African-Americans. Actual descendants of slavery. Oh, we don't have the money. Oh, we got to have a bill to study this. Yeah. Some argument is really interesting to me, and I talked about it a little bit in my radar today, that somehow the existence of people who sold other people into slavery cuts off the uh, responsibility of people who actively participated and profited handsomely for, from a slave trade for years. If I were to buy a defective car that someone then recklessly drives into me, the law doesn't say that I'm not allowed to hold a reckless driver responsible just because there was also a, a defect. There's something called you know shared, shared um, uh, liability here, contributory negligence here. Um, the other thing that I do feel like I really must correct is that uh, people have been saying this a lot, England 
100% was not the first country to ban slavery. Uh, Haiti was. Haiti had a, a slave revolt. It was not ended at the benevolence of the white overlords. Haitians rose up and freed themselves, and as a consequence, has been punished harshly by the international community, which saw that as a real threat to their slavery uh, across the world that was their a really colonies. Bloody incident, uh, though. Yes, it was. They killed all the white people on the island. Yeah. They why did they kill all the white people on the island? What? Why? Why did they do that? What? Why? Why did they do that? Why did they do that? You could tell this guy didn't even care to study the history of what went on, why they revolt, they revolted. Like I said, they're not willing to put themselves in those people's shoes. Imagine someone occupying your island, beating you, raping you, killing your children. Um, and then you finally have enough and you just wipe out everybody there because you've had enough. And all this guy could see, like, they killed all the white people on the island. Why did they kill all the white people on the island? What was going, what was done to them that they did that? While you are happy with your children, their children are getting sold overseas or their mothers are getting raped. Come on now. This, this is just really why you can't. I mean, you could have this discussion, but. It will sometimes get extremely heated, okay? And I think the reason why they don't have black men on this panel because this guy will be put in check so hard. <laughs> I really do. You only have black females here. Why don't you have straight black men on this panel? I just want to know, would he have the same energy? I want to know that. Put Phil from the Advice Show on this show. I just want to know. Do that. Put Phil from the Advice Show on there, okay? And I want to see what, how he would act. I want to see how this man would open his mouth to say the things he's saying. I just want to know. I'd pay to watch that. happens in war and it's something that we celebrate in the context of the American Revolution when we threw off our colonial overlords and hate yes men and women women and children too yes again why did what was what was done to them to the point that they didn't care about oh this is a baby what was done to them that they didn't care and like I said oh there's no racism there's no racism yeah right if it was Nazis occupying a certain Jewish village and this was happening to them and they revolted and they annihilated every German Nazi person there, women and children included, he would not have this type of, he would not have this type of attitude. He'd be okay with it. Termination and do that as well. It is very much celebrated by enslaved people uh, across the world. And it was an inspiration to the abolitionist movement here in the United States. And here's an important point. I want you to respond to this as well. You know, after that happened, Haiti paid to France reparations uh, and they have 112 million francs to France. So, I mean, what do you make of this return to this theme that it is the people who were enslaved that have all the responsibility here in terms of um, paying reparations in these kinds of contexts? So France needs to pay that money back with interest. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. And we know the ways. Imagine telling the Jews, you know what? You're, you need to pay, pay, you need, I'm sorry. You need to pay reparations to Germany. Imagine telling the Jews that you need to pay reparations to Germany. Cause you didn't want to, you didn't want to, uh, you, you fought back. 
you didn't want you you kicked the you kicked their backside so hard, you know, in World War II that you need to pay them reparations. Imagine that being said. Imagine that. Not a chance. Not a chance. Straight up backlash, but they're gonna do it to blacks. France has been involved with uh, subverting and uh, let's go ahead and call it assassinating leaders on the African continent um, and how that has also um, affected, slowed, been a barrier to growth and development there. Yet there's this narrative going around that people are trying to sell, especially as reparations in America and with CARICOM uh, increases its momentum and its public support, both among the descendants of the enslaved, as well as among regular folk who understand that when you build a nation uh, based on slave wealth and you deprive those people of citizenship rights, wealth accumulation and the like, you are indebted to those people to repair the harm that has been caused if we are ever going to get to a state of peace and reconciliation. And I just want to correct something that I said earlier. I said no one told them to go and purchase slaves. That's actually not true. The Catholic Church was heavily involved, the Church of England and the like, and actually issued uh, papal bulls, letters from the Pope, edicts from the Pope saying, go forth and colonize Africans, Muslims, and Native Americans and the rest of the Western Hemisphere in order to take their lands for the glory of their version of Christ. Uh, so there's multiple elements of accountability here, uh, top to bottom, left to right. Yeah, look, I think, but so my hang up we hear with the whole kind of reparations discourse, look, if you can demonstrate that if, if you are a descendant, maybe a, a more direct descendant, a, a child, grandchild, great-grandchild, great-great-great-grandchild of uh, slaves, and and there's a specific, those, the enslavers, their descendants are still around and still have wealth in their estate, then I could see why maybe you're owed something from them. When you get into the realm of, you no, know, like the entire society owes everyone of a certain ethnicity or some independent of their circumstances, that's when I think most people or many people say, well, now we're just talking about a general like transfer of wealth independent of actual any legacy of slavery. Well, what did you think? Man? I mean, you thought that just any black person is going to get this reparations? No, it should be um, African, um, African-American descendants of slavery. That's it. Trace it back, and that's it. That's all there is to it. He's making this sound like this is rocket science. It's not. About the crown, yeah. since that's the topic here. I, I'm not defending. I'm not going to defend the monarchy. I, I wasn't even defending the monarchy. You made me sound like I was defending it because you were defending what that crazy professor said. But no, the crown should end and give that wealth back to whoever. I don't care. But, um, so but that's different than what I'm getting at. Go ahead. Let's address that. The entire nation and the entire world, particularly the uh, Western world, which is European, um, benefited from chattel slavery. And if you mismanaged the wealth that you stole for 300 years in the case of Britain, and then, you know, 100 some odd years, 150 years, or actually 250 years, what am I saying? If in the case of the United States, are we now to write that off because you have uh, 
wasted the wealth. And the reality is the wealth, the wealth has not been wasted. They are still very wealthy countries, the United States and Britain. And we know that Britain or the England um, is responsible for seeding the United States here and contributed to the enslavement here. And so it's not just the families who participated in it because the government allowed it, uh, codified it in a way into the constitution. Think about the Dred Scott decision and, and what that led to uh, eventually with the abolishment of slavery. So yes, the entire country is indebted to the descendants of slaves because there are ways that we could not get justice while our enslaved ancestors were still alive. And it's not just enslavement, it's a lineage of people, specific groups of families, 40 million in the United States of America, who can tie their family back to at least the 1800s in the United States who were under the weight and burden and terror of enslavement. But not just that, the 150 years after emancipation that led to the lynching era, Jim Crow and deprivation of wealth. And we still experience that discrimination today. So it's a lineage-based claim, not an ethnic claim, not a racial claim. It's a specific harm, specific harms that happen to a line of uh, descendants of families uh, currently alive in the United States. I really commend these two, uh, two women here who did excellent work um, you know, having this discussion, schooling um, this anchor man, this of uh, the schooling their co-host, who was completely ignorant. Okay, and you could tell he didn't even he didn't even study for the topic. I mean, aren't you supposed to do that? Aren't you supposed to study about that topic to know what you're talking about to not seem like a complete idiot when it comes to this? Kudos, kudos to, um, you know, the woman in red talking about this um, topic. Hey, um, I wish you the best. All right, on to the next story. I'm going to talk about Mr. Gavin Grusom. I'm... I'm taking a a, 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 a a term from Kid Organics. <laughs> in Kid Organic, when you would say Gavin uh, Gavin Newsom, he I call him Gavin Gruesome. Believe me, what this is this, this is gruesome, man. It really is. Check it out. Hard Talk Radio live in 4K. Recycled and reusable materials to energy efficient appliances. There are eco friendly alternatives for just about everything these days. And now the same is true when it comes to how you are buried. Yes, over the weekend, Governor Newsom signed a human composting bill into law. This needs some explaining, right? So, CBS 13's Adrian Moore is here with the new greener option for Californians after death. Yeah, guys, if this idea has you squirming in your seat just a little bit here, you're not alone. Uh, the assembly member behind this new law says that she gets it. Talking about your mortality can be scary, but she argues what's worse is not knowing what your loved one truly wants after they die. We have a climate change crisis out there, and so I don't want to contribute to it. A postmortem preference promising a greener afterlife. 
this cycle of returning back to Earth is nothing new. Assemblymember Christina Garcia is talking about human composting, where human remains naturally decompose over about a month after being put in a reusable container and buried in biodegradable materials like wood chips and alfalfa, which break down into soil. Okay, this is what I would have to say. Um, what, what happens if a person dies and they have a fatal disease? Okay. They die, but the body still remains and the body still has the disease. Okay. So you're having this put, you know, um, in the ground for compost, for growing food. Okay. Um, as well. Because they're doing this, they're using this, they're going to be using this for farming in seven years. In 2027, um, they're going to be doing this five years away. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> That's what they're going to be doing. So I want to know people, people who have died of cancer, people who have certain diseases. Um, now what? You're growing fruit out of these people vegetables selling them in grocery stores it will this have negative effects passing on diseases and i wouldn't believe when someone tells you oh it's safe now you do do some digging and find out if it's actually true because people lie later be returned to families it's compost and soil uh, that we're talking about so that could be used to plant trees that could be used to plant a garden that is also good for the environment. The option just got the go-ahead from Governor Newsom. He said, this is something that's not for you. You don't have to use this. It's just an additional option. We're not taking anything away. Garcia admits it's not a silver bullet for climate change, but it can make a difference by releasing less carbon into the air than cremation. It's also slightly less expensive than a casket funeral. This is, look, they're lying. At first, it will be, you don't have to do this. At first. And then it was slowly... You know, because the thing, the, the theme is climate change. That's the theme here. Climate change. You breathe too much, so we gotta work. The, the the fact that that is the the theme too. You breathe and you exhale. You know, you know, you breathe in, okay. Exhale. You, you breathe too much, so um, that's a problem. So we're doing this with climate change. It just sounds so stupid. Carbon footprint. Just the dumb things they make up. All right. Let's find it hilarious. Given the heat that we've been under, the drought, the wildfires, we need to do everything and anything to reduce our carbon emissions and create more eco-friendly options in all spaces. An eco-friendly alternative to traditional end-of-life options, getting the green light in California starting in 2027. And California is not alone when it comes to human composting. Four other states, including Washington, Oregon, Colorado, and Vermont, already allow it. Yeah, man. I, I just think this is low-key cannibalism. Slowly but surely, we're, they're going to try to introduce... Um, eating human flesh it's just it's getting there it's getting there they just they know they have to tiptoe around it 
okay? Just like when it came to the alphabet, right? First, it was the marriage, okay? Then it was, like, adopting kids. And then slowly but surely, they're going to get into, like, marrying kids. That's how it's going to go. Little bit at a time. Little bit at a time. Give the devil an inch. He'll slowly but surely take him out. You just won't see it until it's too late. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who have woken up too late. And it will be the same thing when it comes to this. It will be the same thing. And if you don't like it, you're a bigot. I tell you, that's how it's going to be. So let's look into uh, Prince Charles, okay? Let's look into uh, what he's about. How he's further uh, insulted Kenyans, all right? But my thing is like Kenyans are just, they just, they, I don't know what it is. It seems like a lot of Africans like taking abuse from Europeans, especially the, the, the British Empire. You just love abuse. I don't know what it is. Let's, let's check it out. Let's check it out. Bar Talk Radio. There we go. All right. Ah, here we are, here we are, here we are. I'll play it again. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. He don't like you. All right. He don't want to. <laughs> I, I, I look at sometimes these Africans who love the British Empire. I think they're like the house plantation Negroes of, of America. The ones that are on the uh, super, super right. Okay. The ones that. Um, you know, Trump can do no wrong, uh, as well as the other Republicans, they're right no matter what, yet they treat you like garbage, okay? Kenyans furious over British king ignores shaking black man's hand. A video emerged showing a new king of the United Kingdom, Charles III, refusing to shake the hand of a black man among participants who had come to pay their respects to his mother who died early last week. Why would you want to go and pay respects to somebody who did horrible things to your people? I don't get that. Why are you doing that? A scene in which an adult black man of African descent waited for a maiden handshake from the king. He shook every hand that came towards him. Elicited mixed reactions from Kenyans and Africans in general. After shaking every other hand, the king skipped and ignored the African's handshake before getting greeted the um, greeting the uh, the white hands. According to reports, all other African presidents boarded the same bus to the funeral, whereas U.S. President Joe Biden arrived with his entire presidential envoy. That says something. Ahmed Ashamali, a social media person, I wrote on Twitter while sharing the video from their leaders being forced into buses to not being greeted. What did you think? They were doing this to you during the British Empire. 
when they were taking land from the Kenyans and refusing to give them um, land rights. I mean, look what they did, to, did with you during the Mau Mau Rebellion. Okanbag Ramabadu, a Twitter user, posted the viral video on his feed. The video has hundreds, thousands of views and likes since it was posted. On the video, about 30,000 users co commented. Many people criticized the king for his discriminatory action, while others uploaded the video that was the contrary of the viral one. It's not like they care. It's not like they, they care about what you think or feel. They don't care. All right? They got your gold. They got your jewels. And they will do whatever they want to you because you Kenyans will still want to be acknowledged. What for? They don't like you. They don't want... They, they did the same thing to um, Meghan Markle. Okay? They don't like you. And they're going to keep doing that. All right? Now let's go check out what Putin's trying to do. He's going full dirty dozen. What do you what do I mean by that? Let's check it out. Let's check it out. Hold on a minute. Here we go. Fair use, fair use. The camera is in the unsteady hands of a prisoner, but the apparent scene is still startling. Convicts in a southern Russia penitentiary being recruited to fight the Kremlin's war in Ukraine, according to a witness. It's an offer being made in cramped prisons across Russia. One prisoner, like many in this murky underworld, it's rare to glimpse inside, wanted his identity hidden as he explained the deal. Rapists, pedophiles, extremists, terrorists are not taken. Murderers are accepted. contracts. What are the terms of the contract? Amnesty in six months. What kind of money are they promising? Somebody talks about 100,000 rubles, somebody about 200,000. Russia's small victories in this war come with huge losses. And after about six months, regular soldiers have been hit hard. With up to 60,000 Russian dead or wounded troops, say Western officials. Small victories? Man, they got to cope, man. They, gotta, they know they have to control their language, how they have to talk. Small victories. These guys, Russia is winning. So now Russia is making ugly choices in its ugly war, sending convicts to fight. But for this prisoner with years left on a drug sentence, joining up swaps certain incarceration for a slim chance of freedom. If it's real, then I'm all for it. It's either be in prison for nine years or get out in six months if you are lucky. But that's if you are lucky. They can promise one thing, but in fact, everything will be different. This is Russia. <laughs> Since the start of July, from multiple crowded prisons inside Russia, like this one, whose dank cells are shown in activist video, inmates have told relatives of an almost identical offer made by apparent private military contractors. 
military experience is not essential, and monthly pay can be up to $3,500. What I um, meant by the Dirty Dozen, it's an old movie. Um, Tony Silvanus, yeah, it's it's kind of old. It's basically they would, the, the U.S. was getting uh, criminals from different uh, um, different arm, you know, different army criminals, and they're going to raid a Nazi um, chateau. That's what they're going to do. And um, it's, I believe the movie has, uh, I think the movie has Clint Eastwood in it. I'm not sure, but it's an old movie. It's called The Dirty Dozen. And um, that's basically the reference. Why, why I made that reference. All right, let's keep going. A six-month tour leads to an amnesty or pardon. But first, there's usually two weeks training in southern Russia. And then often, there is silence. As the prisoners disappear in Russia's gray zone of expendable contractors. Now we have uh, information that uh, they want to recruit uh, about uh, two or three thousand of uh, prisoners. And for example, if they will die in this war, they pay. Uh, they will. They will pay uh, five million rubles to the uh, family of this uh, prisoner. There is no really contract. There is no really uh, guarantee to protect the rights or the health or the lives. Sometimes the offer comes with fanfare. This helicopter flying recruiters to one prison activist said, these are convicts, yes, but they still face agonizing choices. Weighing a shot at freedom against a violent death. One prisoner explained his decision to his brother in these texts. I'm going. Don't tell mother either way. It's better that way. Or else she'll worry a lot and react to every piece of news. That's it. We will react to every news. If you tell us where you are and what you're doing, we will be calmer, as at least we will know where to look. Even I don't know that. Everything will be decided on the spot. I do know we're going to the 12th prison, and once gathered there to Rostov for two weeks, where there's a center, and then to the territory. I am willing to go. Lots of options, but there's only one. That's why I agree. Another prisoner's sister describes how he almost vanished after receiving the offer. There's no definite proof he's in Ukraine. Some of you guys, like you, these are criminals and murderers and complaining about it. You guys did horrible things to, to get into the prison system and you got a chance to get out. Why are you complaining? That's my view on it. You got a chance to get out. Stop complaining. Just don't break the law again. Can you do that? That's the big challenge. People want to make Putin out to be a bad guy in these situations. But if this is a, a, a window opportunity where you don't have to spend the rest, the rest of your life rotting in a Russian prison. More contact there has been has been darker still. Two wives of prisoners sent to the front from one St. Petersburg prison say they've been contacted and told that their husbands lie injured in a hospital in separatist-controlled Luhansk, and that a total of ten prisoners from that one prison alone are now dead 
or injured. Another, a mother, has said that she's been contacted by an anonymous individual and told that she can soon collect her son's wages in cash. Russia's regard for the norms of war or even prison. Long gone. If they try to romanticize like Russia, oh, they, he's a bad person. How could he be going and getting prisoners and putting them in war? <sighs> One, this is war. Okay. And you have to make some choices to win. These prisoners should not be complaining. Again, you've done horrible things. And, you know, mainstream media... Sometimes I really don't like it because they try to paint this narrative that, you know, oh, these criminals who have done horrible things, how could you treat them this way and sending them off to war? Um, what about the lives they've taken? They should be grateful to even have this type of opportunity. I bet you if you give this to American prisoners, you know how many of them would jump to the chance? Yeah. Yeah. Or other prisoners in other countries, they would jump at the chance. Considering the fact that you know other prisoners, other prisons in other countries are way worse, and they don't play when it comes to justice. And someone's granting an opportunity, even though you may die, if you live, you get freedom. Come on, man. Come on. All right. Let's look at Zelensky now. Zelensky, Zelensky, Zelensky. President Volodymyr Zelensky on Wednesday addressed the United Nations. Uh, General Assembly, while urging the international community and world leaders to unite against Russia's war in Ukraine and strip Moscow of its veto power. In a video address to the annual UN General Assembly, Ukraine's president uh, held out a plan for restoration of peace in Ukraine. Zelensky said that his plan for peace starts with uh, punishing Russia Tell me how tying your people to telephone poles with duct tape and beating them because you think they aid Russia. No proof. You know, just doing that. Tell me how, you know, that's right. You're talking about crimes against your, your people, but you're the ones committing the most crimes. You're the ones killing journalists. You're the ones torturing, beating up people of a different ethnicity. You are the ones supporting Nazis. You fired weapons at your own people at a hospital. I'm just wondering about that. You harbor 
Nazis running on the run, okay, wanted, wanted in other countries for hate crimes. Your people are suffering while you take pictures for Vanity Affair. Hmm. Okay. The dignity of our women and men, the crime was committed against their values that make you and me a community of the United Nations. And Ukraine demands punishment for trying to steal our territory. Punishment for the murders of thousands of people. Punishment for tortures and humiliations of women and men. Punishment for the catastrophic turbulence that Russia provoked with its illegal war and not only for us Ukrainians but for the whole world. For every nation that is represented in this hall of the UN General Assembly. So long as the aggressor is a party to decision-making in the international organization, he must be isolated from them, at least until aggression lasts. Reject the right to vote, deprive delegation rights, remove the right of veto, if it is a member of the UN Security Council, in order to punish the aggressor within the institutions. And Zelensky received a standing ovation from UN diplomats following his speech, where, as he said, he outlined the five-point formula for peace uh, in uh, Ukraine. In his speech, Zelensky repeated his uh, earlier calls for friendly countries to support Ukraine with military aid. He has also called for a complete diplomatic isolation. What's the point of supporting, you know, Ukraine with military aid and medical aid if the aid doesn't go to the soldiers? It gets stolen by people trusted to bring the, the, the aid and the supplies to the soldiers. What's the point? What is the point of helping Ukraine military? Okay, when they steal from each other. I don't see a point. Yeah, okay. All that money wasted on Ukraine. The United States and many other nations are going through so much problems right now, but we're going to waste it on a country that is not worth it and to just let Russia have Ukraine solves all our problems. Russia as well as fresh sanctions on that country. Waste of money. Okay. Let's get into this story right now. Okay, New York City. It's getting worse. 
it is getting worse when it comes to New York City and this immigration crisis. Take a look. came into the city's Port Authority bus terminal this morning. Officials say the city's shelter system is now at a breaking point and is searching for new ways to house all these people. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says that he sent migrants out of his state to cities like New York to bring attention to the crisis at the border. In response to the growing number of migrants arriving here, Mayor Adams announced new humanitarian emergency response and relief centers. Two centers will be opening in the coming weeks. Orchard Beach will serve adults, while a second location is still being finalized and more could open as needed. Buses will arrive directly to the humanitarian centers and are set to offer shelter, food, legal aid, and more. Meantime, the Legal Aid Society says it does have concerns about families and congregate settings, but will work with the city to help asylum seekers. And as these asylum seekers continue to arrive, we're also learning more about their struggles and what they're facing. Yeah, Fox 5, Jessica Formoso spoke with a family from Venezuela who's been staying at a shelter in the Bronx for a few weeks. Unida Pirela recalling the dangerous journey she, her husband Jose Manuel, and their son Victor Manuel made to get to the United States. On July 18th, the family decided they were going to leave Venezuela and come to America for a better life. In Venezuela, a salary is $12 a month, flour is $5, a chicken is $10. So how can you support a family on that income? You can't. Everything there is just bad. It took them a month to get here. They crossed the jungle and a river. They spent days without food. They did it with a five-year-old by their side. You see things you never want to see, dead bodies laying there. We stepped on those dead bodies. We had no choice if we wanted to keep going. The family of three arrived in Texas on July 20th. Unida says she thought the worst was over, but it wasn't. While in Texas, they spent six days in a detention center. Their phones were taken away. They had no communication with anyone, not even with their family back at home. They treated us like animals, and they didn't care. I know we broke the law by crossing the border, but we shouldn't be treated like that. After being released two days later, they were put on a bus to New York City. They had no idea where they were going. It took them three days to get here. They had no food, no money. Once they arrived, they were taken to the Path Intake Center, where they were put up in a hotel in the Bronx. They have been there since. We are in limbo. We have no resources. We are thankful we have somewhere to sleep, but we are alone. We go out to get food and clothing from churches and local organizations. Awilda Cordero, founder of Emergency Rights in the Bronx, has been helping the family, a family who is trying to start a new life. These are hotels that are actually getting money from the government now, from the city of New York, and getting paid to put all these families in there. And then they're not helping them. They're just putting them in there and then leaving them in limbo. Her son is attending school here in the Bronx. Her husband is working a couple of days here and there. They hope to find full-time jobs so they can leave the shelter and rent their own apartment in the Bronx. I don't see a point in bringing these people over here 
to New York. We have job. We have, people are trying to find jobs here. People can't find jobs. We have homelessness, mental illness problems here, murder, murder rates going up. And you want to bring this here, okay? This this is this is nuts, man. And then these hotels, okay, they're housing them, and then I help. It's not the hotel's job. But my thing is this, okay? When you start putting these in all these when you start putting these immigrants in all these hotels, right? How does the hotel um, keep their brand? How do they keep their brand? Because you know what's going to go down, right? Tourism. Tourism is going to go down, and that's where many of these hotels make money. I remember I was walking past a hotel. I think two years ago, it was well, I think yeah, I think it was twenty twenty one, right? And the thing is, like the hotel, they took in the homeless for a little bit, right? And then they kicked them out because they wanted to make money. They got tired of it. A lot of these hotels are going to get tired of putting housing these illegal um these illegal immigrants okay as well as the homeless people and they're going to push them back on the streets because they want their brand they want their reputation the hilton won't put up with that because the hilton has a brand new york is going back to the 80s i've said it once i've said it before they're going back to the 80s and it's sad but that that's where it's going that is where it is going It seems like sex trafficking is becoming the boom for a lot of for a lot of people. Sick, sad, but it's becoming some sort of boom. Like the the go to thing, and it's women who are also getting into um, doing this type of stuff willingly, running it, being madams. Plano home being used as a short-term rental was the scene of a sex trafficking bust this week. Hello, everybody. I'm Steve Eager. It's nine o'clock. Police say the people renting that home were using it as a brothel. Neighbors took pictures of the police at the scene yesterday. This started with a tip about a sex trafficking ring out of Dallas. Investigators were led to this home, and they found a number of young women inside. Officer Peyton Yeager is at Dallas Police Headquarters with details on this investigation. Peyton? Steve, one neighbor tells me Dallas police brought out a dozen young women in handcuffs. Many of them had to be wrapped in towels. That's according to many witnesses. Two people were arrested. One of them, including the woman, police say operated the whole ring. As mid-America normal as you could get. Yeah, it's just your regular suburb in Plano. Little did Chris Bailey know, a home in his Plano neighborhood was part of a multi-agency sex trafficking investigation. I had no clue that was going on. Friday, Sky 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 captured images of furniture furniture being moved out of the the short-term rental. rental. 
Police say the rental of Las Palmas Lane was being used as a brothel. Thursday, Dallas and Plano police swarmed the property. One neighbor snapped this photo during the raid. 41-year-old Brandy Cliff, whose mugshot has not been released, was arrested for aggravated promotion of prostitution. 22-year-old Madison Hatcher was also taken into custody on an arrest warrant for assault out of Hayes County. Dallas police say they've been following the ring since July when they got a tip about a sex trafficking ring in North Dallas. According to police, by September, the ring moved to a short-term rental in Plano, across the street from the Baileys. I thought maybe, if anything, there were college kids, but just nothing that was abnormal. We don't know all the crime that's occurring because it's behind closed doors. Bill France with the Plano Neighborhood Coalition using this bust as fuel in the fight against the city over short-term rentals in single-family neighborhoods. Friday, a sign out front reads, Homes, not hotels. Do you want your children and your family to be living next to the operation of a brothel? Dallas police say many of the women were taken into custody, questioned, and then released. It's unclear how long the ring was in Dallas and then how long it was in Plano. I spoke with many neighbors today. Some of them tell me they heard loud parties most recently over the weekend, but others like Bailey tell me they never suspected it. Like I said, man, there are women running these shows now. Women. But, you know, there's always been women running brothels since time time immortal and it, it's crazy man it is crazy women are doing this young women are doing this times are hard i mean you got women doing only fans now school teachers doing only fans and you got this plus the things that are happening in 2023 yeah going to go down man it is going to go down let's check out these fraud charges Hold on a second. 250 million dollar fraud scam let's get into it hard talk radio live in 4k We begin with what federal authorities are calling the largest theft of COVID relief money in the country. Tonight, 47 people are charged with stealing $250 million from a federally funded child nutrition program meant to feed hungry children during the pandemic. Instead, prosecutors say the group bought jewelry, luxury cars, and even property with all that money. Tonight, our team report on the Feeding Our Future alleged fraud scheme begins with Lou Raguse, who is live in our newsroom. Lou? Lord and Julie, we've been waiting for this indictment since January when the FBI conducted several search warrants, which released details to the public. That's when U.S. Attorney Andy Luger said they finally began to put a stop to the alleged fraud. Today, we learn more details, including alleged bribes and kickbacks each time a new co-conspirator joined the scheme. Amy Bach, once lauded for helping Minnesota's Somali population, this morning turned herself into federal authorities on charges of conspiracy, wire fraud, money laundering, and taking bribes. A scheme that began with a simple idea in March of 2020 grew to become the largest pandemic fraud 
in the United States. U.S. Attorney Andy Luger laid out in detail what is now known as the Feeding Our Future fraud. Feeding Our Future is at the core of this fraud. Bach and her organization Feeding Our Future are accused of taking advantage of an influx of federal money at the beginning of the pandemic aimed at providing free meals to children in need. According to the indictment, they helped others set up fake companies to claim to feed meals to children that didn't exist. Some actual restaurants, like Safari in Minneapolis, are accused of doing the same, accepting the federal money and giving kickbacks to feeding our future. More than 125 million fake meals are an issue in this case. And what happened to that money? The indictment says it was spent on homes like this one in Plymouth, as well as vacations, cars, and jewelry. It quickly became the ultimate get-rich-quick scheme as the defendants capitalized on the pandemic and grew this operation within months. Now, most of the suspects are being released on their pending charges instead of being held in jail, and that includes Amy Bach. She pleaded not guilty this afternoon to all charges, and I had an interesting talk afterwards with her lawyer. He told me that they don't see any evidence that she did anything wrong, but then he added that if the government does show them evidence that Bach is culpable, they would take responsibility. Chris, we'll toss it to you. Okay, not sure what that means. We've got a lot of reaction from elected officials on this story. Some pushing blame, some taking credit, some just calling out the alleged fraud. Here's what Attorney General Keith Ellison had to say, as he is still in the middle of a civil investigation into Feeding Our Future. He says, I applaud the federal government for bringing criminal charges against Feeding Our Future for fraud because it involves federal money. The scope of the alleged fraud is immoral. As AG, I'm also continuing to use the power of my office to hold them accountable on the civil side. Again, prosecutors saying this is just the first round of indictments, indicating that there could be more, not to mention possible charges if these nonprofits broke any laws in Minnesota. Back to you. Wow. That. Wow. You have so many kids starving. You know, they can't get their, you know, food to eat and you do this. This would be child abuse charges as well. That COVID relief money was meant for people in need. It's meant for businesses that are struggling. It's meant to help people who are giving back to the economy, who have businesses that actually help their providers. And you, you, these are big time um, public officials. You have money. What is your problem? Love to get the book thrown at them. I really do. Now, what's up with this boiling Nyquil, boiling uh, chicken in Nyquil? Let's get into it. Social media is full of trends. Some of them are fun, but as we know, others are flat out dangerous. And one of the latest trends combines NyQuil and chicken. I didn't believe it until I saw it, but here's Megan Bragg from our Verify team with whether this is fake. It's the latest trend going around social media. People cooking their chicken in cough or cold medicine. Videos on TikTok show people doing it. They're calling it sleepy 
chicken or NyQuil chicken. So is it safe to cook chicken with NyQuil? Let's verify. Now I consider myself a good cook and can tell you this isn't a good idea, but we went to the experts to get you answers. Our sources, family physician Dr. Carla Robinson and the Mayo Clinic. Both medications have many ingredients mixed in them, and so it's really hard to say what happens to the chemical composition of these uh, medications once they are boiled. One of these three active ingredients in NyQuil is a sedating antihistamine. According to the Mayo Clinic, that can cause drowsiness. Dr. Robinson says boiling the medication makes it more concentrated, which could be harmful to you. The thought is that if you are boiling the medication, that you could potentially um, boil away the water contents or the liquefying contents that help to dilute uh, the medication. Dr. Robinson says you should always be using medicine as it's stated on the label or how your doctor tells you to. There are guidelines as to how medication is supposed to be used. And anytime you alter that, you run the risk of either being exposed to higher than expected levels of medication or maybe even rendering the medication ineffective. Dr. Robinson also wants to remind you that you should not be getting medical advice from the internet. These trends on TikTok are not proven to be safe. Look how green that chicken is. Who would eat that in their right mind? Look at that. Look, look. I think sometimes people who are on TikTok, look, I don't think TikTok is really bad, that bad. It it's what's put on there. It's the content creators. If you if you're a content creator and you're putting up nonsense or you're putting up things like this, you, you know, you're if anybody gets sick and dies, they should be they have the right to sue you. Because you are not license you're not a medical professional you're not a health professional you're not a fitness coach anybody especially anybody feeds us to this kids they should be arrested and you should be arrested because this is stupid come on now this is just dumb or any other food for that matter with NyQuil or any other cold or cough medicine. Now, parents, if you find that your child has actually tried this trend, experts suggest that you contact the Poison Control Center or your healthcare provider. Hearing what some people will try. I don't know. Maybe the social media does make people dumber. I don't know. Because it all depends. Because there's some people, you know, like, I I go on TikTok, but I look up things like the news, current events, things that actually can help me. I don't look at stuff like, oh, you know, like eating pink slime or cooking chicken with NyQuil. I don't look that stuff up. But, you know, everybody's not me. Everybody's different. And I do think that if you don't have a... Look, I just think it's, it should be banned. It should be illegal to do this. That's how I see it. Okay, let's look into this one. This, uh, this is really a sad um, state and... 
I'm, I'm really thinking that we need to modify that quantitative um, immunity. We need to modify it. There's too many, you got too many people becoming cops and they don't deserve to become cops and they're hurting people intentionally or unintentionally. That's how I see. You have a lot of stupid people joining the force and um, just got to stop. Let's take a look. Um, um, that the, the, these, these two need to be put, they lose their jobs. No, 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 no. I don't know why they couldn't think to themselves. Okay. You have your car, have the person park their car in another place, safe from the train, safe away from the train. Make sure your patrol car is nowhere near the train tracks. The person is in cuffs. They are completely in your care. They are your responsibility. I don't understand how this happened. I don't. This... This is stupid. Complete incompetence here. A dramatic video released by Colorado authorities shows the moment a freight train hit a, a police patrol cruiser parked on the train tracks with a person handcuffed in the back seat. The video, which was released on Friday by the Plateville and Fort 
Lupton Police Department shows how Yarini Rios Gonzalez, 20, was hurt after officers from both agencies detained her in a patrol car on 16th of September as they searched her pickup truck for weapons. The officers were responding to a report of a road rage confrontation that involved a gun in Fort Lupton. A Plateville police officer stopped Rios Gonzalez's truck near a set of railroad tracks and parked the patrol vehicle at top of the tracks. Why, why would you do that? Why? According to the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, the traffic stop that the officers conducted was considered high risk because they detained Rio Gonzalez on suspicion of felony menacing, so they put her in the back of a patrol cruiser on the scene. An edited excerpt of the body camera and dashboard camera footage posted online shows officers searching the pickup truck and the surrounding area for firearms before the train's horn is heard in the distance. The officers appear to take at least 15 seconds to realize an incoming Pacific train was incoming. Once one of the officers grasps that the train is approaching the, the patrol cruiser, they yell while another officer tells his colleague to stay back. An officer is then shown turning around a few times near the patrol vehicle before ultimately running for cover as the train slammed into the car, pushing it several yards down the tracks. After about 20 seconds, a Plateville police officer is heard repeatedly yelling, hey, was she in there? Oh, my God. Wow. You put her in the patrol car. What do you mean, hey, is she in there? Oh, my God. Yes, she was. The Fort Lipton officer yells back after calling for medical emergency assistance. Both officers run towards the cruiser that hit the train was that the train hit. According to her attorney, Paula, Paul Wilkinson, Rio Gonzalez was unconscious by the time she arrived at the hospital. She suffered numerous injuries, including a broken arm that required surgery, nine broken ribs, a fractured sternum and a wound to the back of her back, a wound to her back and head. She saw it coming and could hear the horn, Wilkinson told the Denver Post. She was trying to get the police officer's attention, screaming at them. She tried unlocking the door. She had her hands behind her back and was frantically trying to unlock the door. I don't think you ever park on a train. You don't ever, Wil ever Wilkinson said, blaming the officers for Rio Gonzalez's injuries. That would have avoided the whole situation. You just never park on a train track. You have to park somewhere else. It's unbelievable they did something like this. According to the, a statement released by the Fort Lupton Police Department, officers cleared the suspect vehicle to determine if anyone else was in the vehicle. Within a matter of seconds, the Plateville Police vehicle, which contained the female detainee, was struck by the northbound train. Fort Lupton officers immediately summoned the medical assistance and began life-sustaining measures. The Denver Post reported that the Plateville Police Department had placed one of the officers involved on paid administrative leave. In a statement to the newspaper, the police chief, Carl Diver, did not reveal the officer's name and refused to answer other questions regarding the traffic stop and crash. Three agencies are investigating the incident. The Fort Lupton Police Department is investigating the road rage report. The Colorado State Patrol is examining the crash, and the Colorado Bureau of Investigation is looking at the injuries that Rio Gonzalez suffered from while in police custody this 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 is madness man this is absolute madness you can look up the rest of the information yourself she has a hefty lawsuit 
she's going to get she's going she should get a good chunk of change and both of those officers need to go to jail do not stop go they need to go to jail this, this is stupid this is beyond stupidity this this is pure incompetence i can't believe i'm reading this i can't hey is she in there what do you think All right. Next story. <sighs> the quest for, to find more police officers for Philadelphia. Let's get into it. violence has increased so has the number of police vacancies looking at the numbers um it's it's it's, it's a rude awakening you know to say the least captain terrell mccoy is head of recruitment for philadelphia police according to city stats the police department is budgeted to have 6380 sworn officers but as of june 30th the force was down more than 500 officers and that's not counting the nearly 1,000 officers who are out on disability or other types of leave. My primary focus right now is really just continue to push the narrative of what it takes to be a police officer and also provide that support. Candidates 20 years old or older with a high school diploma are encouraged to apply. A previous residency requirement is currently waived, but working cops do eventually have to move to the city. Diversity has been a big push for the police department. Diversity transcends just race and gender. It's backgrounds, it's experiences. But finding diverse candidates from certain Philly neighborhoods may not be easy, according to Ruben Jones, who runs the Philadelphia prevention nonprofit, Frontline Dads. Young black and Hispanic kids don't want to be cops. First of all, the cops have a, a bad reputation in Philadelphia. Let's just be realistic. The trust isn't there. Jones says the department does need cops who are from the communities they police. But you got to be, begin to rebuild trust in these um, impoverished, marginalized communities before people see themselves as part of the solution in that machinery. PPD's application process is open through the end of the month. It's necessary for people to get themselves in this process and hope that those numbers increase over time. And if you head to our website, you'll be able to find a link for the police application. That's NBC10.com slash find it on 10. In Center City, Claudia. Thing is, though, um, there's a lot of uh, racism there. And unfortunately, they're not willing to fix that in Philly. Okay? That's how it goes. <coughs> Until they fix that, um, it's going to be a problem to always... Uh, Always got a problem to fill up those spots with qualified cops. That's how it's going to be. It's going to be that way. And um, I'll show you it. Hold on one minute. I thought you said that you were. Okay. One minute right here. Okay. 
here we go. Maya Anderson lost her brother Lonnie to gun violence in 2009. He was shot and killed in their Germantown neighborhood. Since then, she knew she wanted to be a cop. I had some really good police officers that helped me and my family out during the time, and that really kind of sealed the deal. I wanted to be that person that, you know, helped people out. When she first tried out for the police academy in 2017, she says she was rejected. She put down on her application that she was honorably discharged from the National Guard. They said that I falsified by saying that I was honorably, honorably discharged and not generally discharged. Maya only served in the National Guard for four months. She left because of her pregnancy, and due to the short nature of her service, she was given an uncharacterized discharge. When she applied to the police academy again last year, she knew what to put down. She was given a conditional offer to the academy pending a background investigation. I passed everything with no problems. And this time, I believe Wednesday before the class started on Monday, um, they uh, brought up a car accident that my sister was involved in. Maya had lent her sister her car in 2017. Her sister crashed it, but the accident went on Maya's record. Maya says her rejection letter faulted a poor driving record as one of the reasons for her rejection to the academy. The second reason was poor work history, which she says was from when she was working odd jobs as a teenager. She was heartbroken. I feel like that was just very unfair. And the only reason behind it is because of what? Honestly, to be totally honest, that's, that's just what it is. Poor driving record, poor work history, poor credit history. You know, these are the reasons that people don't make it through process. David Fisher is head of the local chapter of the National Black Police Association. He is familiar with Maya's story and that of many others like her. He says the cop selection process is arbitrary and racist. We spoke with several other black men and women who were rejected from the police academy some more than once. They all believe they were subject to racial bias. Some of those rejected applicants work for other police agencies and have even gone to the same academy as Philly PD officers. Remember, Philadelphia is 44% black, 34% white, 15% Hispanic, and 8% Asian. According to Philly PD stats, most of the candidates of color who apply to the police academy do not get in. About 70% of academy applicants are black, Hispanic, Asian, or other. Yet in the last year, only 29% of recruits were people of color. In January's class, no black recruits made the cut. That class alone told me how much racism and implicit bias is inside the police department that nobody took notice of. Captain Tyrell McCoy is in charge of recruitment at the police academy. He took over the position in December. McCoy says he was disappointed by the lack of diversity in the January class. I'm taking an in-depth look now to make sure that it never happens again. So that's a problem for you? Absolutely, absolutely. Personally, I would like to see a more diverse group of folks within our police academy. McCoy wouldn't comment on Anderson's case or others whom we spoke to about their academy rejection. He says after someone passes the basics, reading and agility test, then comes the psychological evaluation and a background investigation. What are some of the things that would disqualify somebody in that process? Well, well, it's very hard to say because we're taking on a case-by-case -case basis. 
Um, of course, there are a lot of variables that we consider throughout the process. The number of black officers in the police department has been dropping since 2000. That was around the same time that a consent decree requiring the city to hire a certain number of black police officers expired. A 1990 federal court order mandated that the city have the same percentage of black recruits as the percentage of black applicants. So if 50% of applicants were black, then the next academy class would have to be half black. The consent decree was put there so that we could get on this job. If without it, I'd be just another rank still trying to become a Philadelphia police officer. The police department went from 24% black in 1990 to 35% black in 2000. Now, 30% of the force is black. Jeremy Wilson studies police hiring and recruitment. He says for many decades, police departments have denied applicants of all races due to criminal history, prior drug use, and debt. If people have financial debt, then that might suggest that they make poor decisions or that somehow they'll be susceptible to graft and corruption in order to meet their debt obligations. Wilson says some departments are starting to ease up on some of the traditional restrictions. Philly PD says it is calling previously rejected applicants and encouraging them to apply again. With police reform being echoed throughout the nation, um, we, we're, we're looking at a diverse field of applicants to take on this job that are ready and willing to serve, and now's the time. McCoy says the department will be holding information sessions so that the candidates applying for the academy can be better prepared. As for Maya, she says she'll be applying to the academy for a third time. For the investigators, I'm... There you have it. There you have it. I'm sure they have other, you know, uh, they got white counterparts that probably have a whole bunch of uh, crap in their background history and they still get hired okay that's basically it that's what it's like all right okay um let's get into this other story right here all right China does not play, man. China does not play at all. Well, what are you talking about, Hard Talk Radio? You'll see. Here we are. Fair use, fair use, fair use. Chinese court sentences U.S. citizen to death for murder. Beijing, Reuters, a Chinese court sentenced U.S. citizen Shahid Abdul Mateen to death on Thursday for intentional homicide of a 21-year-old woman, his former girlfriend, state broadcaster CCTV reported. In its verdict, the Ningbo Intermediate People's Court in Zhejiang Province found that after a disagreement over the pair's breakup in June 2019, the defendant arranged to meet and talk with the victim, a Chinese woman surnamed Chen, at a bus stop in Ningbo before killing her with a folding knife. The court held that the defendant's premeditated revenge killing, stabbing and cutting Chen's face and neck several times, resulting in Chen's death, was
was motivated by vile motives, resolute intent and cruel means, and the circumstances of the crime were particularly bad and the consequences particularly serious, and should be punished according to law, CCTV reported. An official with the U.S. State Department said it was monitoring the matter but would not comment further due to privacy considerations. A lot of you men who want to go overseas, okay, um, you think you could do your garbage here and bring that garbage over there. It's not how that works, man. Other countries have different laws, different laws, okay, and they have a very high respect for culture. All right. That is what a lot of you don't understand, especially some of these, um, not all, some of these black men who think that they could do their dirt here in America and they, you could do that dirt to women over there and they're not going to um, stand up to you and tell you they don't want to be with you anymore once they find out that you're garbage. Now, you have a lot of people trying to blame the passport bros and stuff like that. I don't think this is passport bro um, behavior, okay? I don't think because this man doesn't claim uh, passport bros, all right? I don't see anything wrong with a man going over to another country to find love. But if you are a man that's going over there and you are already in a relationship in America, you're married... And you're trying to find another woman in another country Then you're a scumbag Okay That's it, you're a scumbag And You can't get mad at a woman who Knows her worth And says, you know what Excuse me, you know what, I don't want to deal with you anymore That's it That's basically it How it goes down And that man has to deal with the fact that uh, he had, he's going to be filled with bullets, okay? Firing squad, okay? Bang, 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 bang. That's what's going to happen to him. That is what he has to be dealing with. American man sentenced to death. In China for killing girlfriend after she tried to break up with him. Shahid Abdulmatin, a former English teacher at a university in Ningbo, Ningbo, was found guilty of stabbing the 21-year-old when she tried to end a relationship. The court in the Eastern Chinese city ruled that it was a premeditated revenge. Court in Eastern China sentenced an American teacher to death, and um, Shahid. Abdullabin, a former English teacher to Nungo University of Technology from Los Angeles, met the victim, surnamed Chen, in 2019. So he's from Los Angeles. And you could uh, listen to a video of him talk. You can tell he kind of got that, you know, he got 
you got that kind of pookie dirtbag vibes. Just saying. Hey. And he was up to no good. That's what's happened. You know? Ningbo Intermediate People's Court ruled that Abdullah Mithin had lied to Chen that he was divorced and they soon developed a relationship, stated broadcast and CCTV reported. Abdullah threatened Chen, 21, verbally when she tried to end a relationship in May 2021, the court said. On the night of June 14th, Abdullah arranged to meet Chen, bringing with him a folding knife and stabbed her several times in the face and the neck, resulting in her bleeding to death. The court ruled that it was a premeditated revenge killing that warned a death sentence. CCTV reported that the court had notified U.S. diplomatic staff in accordance with the regulations. More than 20 local legislators and members of the public in Ningbo attended the hearing. China state media did not say whether Abdelatine would appeal. The U.S. embassy did not immediately respond to a request for the comment. The killing triggered public anger with some accusing the police of being slow to respond because the suspect was a foreigner. Hu Zing, former editor-in-chief of the nationally tabloid Global Times, commented at the time that the crimes by foreigners in China have occurred from time to time, and their foreign identity cannot be used as a protective umbrella for them to escape punishment. However, he urged people not to focus on the suspect's nationality or skin color to avoid international backlash. China's criminal law stipulates that the foreign offenders are subject to the same punishments as their Chinese counterparts, except for those who enjoy diplomatic privileges and, ex- and exemptions. In recent years, most death sentences handed to foreign nationals have involved drug-related crimes. In August of 2021, the Liaoning Hayok People's Court in northeastern China upheld the death penalty handed to the Canadian Robert Lloyd Schallenberg, rejecting his appeal against the sentence after he was convicted of smuggling methamphetamine in 2018. Scalenberg's case was added to diplomatic tensions between Chinese and Canadian governments following the arrest of Huming's technology executive Ming Zhangzhou and the detention of two Canadian Canadians on spy charges. Okay. So this man got what he deserved. All right. A lot of you men who probably are passport bros probably are married and that's sad and you want to go and try to have a uh, a side piece in China. Now, let me tell you something. This is China, okay? China doesn't play that. China, in their culture, um, they upheld morals and standards, okay, higher than, than, than what is in America, okay? So, if you want to play that game, you're gonna end, you're gonna you're gonna lose. All right. And he possibly thought he could do that. And, you know, by his name, he he's Muslim, probably. And he thought he could have one wife in America, one wife in China. It's not going to happen. Everybody's not going to go for that. And after all, um, according to, you know, Islam, they, you know, the wives have to know each other. And this happens. This is not the first time you have Muslim men that will have one wife in one country and one wife in another country. They do that. It's usually because they can't afford to have uh, multiple wives in one country. So they do this type of crap. That's all I got for today. All right. 
I don't feel sorry for him at all. I don't. He's getting what he deserves. You know? And I remember watching this news clip on another on another uh, live stream, and there was a black person commenting that we always got to be in our P's and Q's and stuff. It's not that hard. Why, why do you make it like that's so hard to do when you're in a foreign country? You're not of those people. Okay? It's not that hard to behave yourself in another country. It's not. Now, what this has is it, it, you know, probably leaves a bad taste in that in that victim's family's mouth about black men. Okay. But not all black men are like that. And I like how they said that not to judge him by the color of his skin, just judge him by the fact that he committed a crime and he has to pay the consequences for that. That's what I like about that. Even though China is a communist country, I respect them when it comes to handing down the law. I like that about China. Other than that, anything you want to know about this channel is in the description box. Like, share, comment, and subscribe. Later.